podcast are the recollections of the guests we've invited onto the show. We are an outlet for people to share their truths, and we accept no legal responsibilities for the stories contained herein. I'm Kendra Sheets. And I'm Rich Gill. And this is Enough, a podcast that aims to shine light into the darkened corners of the music industry while discussing the ways we can and should improve ourselves and in turn our community. Welcome back to another episode of the Enough Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kendra Sheets. I'm your other host, Rich Gill. And today we are talking about trauma. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's favorite topic. I mean, a shared topic. So like it should be everyone's favorite because there's not one person who doesn't have trauma, whether they know it or not. That's an excellent point. Yes. So we are going to talk today about different types of trauma therapies. So trauma, and this is a quote, is the lasting emotional response that often results from living through a distressing event. Experiencing a traumatic event can harm a person's sense of safety, sense of self, and the ability to regulate emotions and navigate relationships. Long after the traumatic event occurs, People with trauma can often feel shame, helplessness, powerlessness, and intense fear. So that's how we're going to define it. That's how we're going to use it and talk about it for the rest of the episode. It's also pretty much the definition. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so common types of trauma therapies and their definitions. Let's move on to that, since that's what this is all about. So the first kind is CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and CPT, which is Cognitive Processing Therapy. These are similar to your typical therapy session, um, as you see on TV shows or movies. You know, it's usually someone laying on a couch, the doctor sitting in a chair, glasses and a notebook, whatever. It's a type of talk therapy where certain thoughts and patterns can be noted as unhelpful and with the help of the licensed professional can be corrected over time. This is, you know, like we said, this is sort of the most basic form of therapy. It's the kind of therapy that I did for a good four or five years. I I don't even remember how long it was. It was so good that you forgot how long you were doing it. Yeah, that's sort of the, when people talk about therapy, this is usually what they're talking about. Um, Another one is exposure therapy. I have never experienced this one myself. And to me, it seems like so much. I'm sure it works for lots of people. But like, of course, it depends depends exactly on what type of trauma you have that you're working through. Like for me, my thought, because I I have not experienced this on my own, would be like, I'm scared of spiders. Do I want exposure therapy? Fuck no. Like that that is so scary to me. But I'm sure that's really not trauma. That's like an inherent, like ingrained fear in me. So it probably doesn't even like make sense. But I was going to say, no, but that's what the exact thing that I was going to say. Like to me, this sounds like I am terrified of spiders. So they would just put a bunch of spiders on me. Like a fear factor fucking tank full of spiders. And it sounds like the worst thing ever. I feel like it would, for me, it would drive me absolutely up the wall. Like I would, it would make things so much worse. But again, if it's, if it's not fear in the way that like, like spider fear is, and it's actually trauma that I'm sure it probably has, serves its purpose. The patient overcoming the fear and all of the emotional responsiveness to something by continually being exposed to that thing or discussing that thing over and over again until you almost negate the like mental charge that comes with it or physical charge really. The next kind is NET or narrative exposure therapy. So we've all heard that phrase that we're our own heroes. 
NET kind of taps into that. Our well-being depends on the story that we tell ourselves. So using NET, someone can shift the storyline surrounding a traumatic event, something fuller, something more positive. Uh, this kind of therapy tends to work well on people who have experienced complex and multiple traumas. And then the next on our list is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, or EMDR. It's very helpful for people who have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it helps people process trauma that has almost like gotten stuck in their brain or in their body in an attempt to aid healing. The last kind of therapy that we're going to mention here is psychodynamic trauma therapy. This is a form of therapy which focuses on a variety of factors that may affect or cause PTSD symptoms. Uh, it focuses mostly on the client's unconscious mind and how it influences behavior. So here the therapist will help a client recognize and process painful unconscious feelings so they can be released instead of being avoided, which we all love to do, just avoid all of the trauma that we've all been through. And the queen of disassociation. We can talk about that later. We do want to mention that there are other types of trauma therapies. These are just the ones that we wanted to mention quickly before we get deeper into this. And no single option is more useful or more right than any other. Uh, it's whatever works for you. And it could be a combination of a few different types. And it can take a while to figure out what therapy works best for you. For sure. I feel very lucky that when I finally made the decision to start going to therapy after many, many years of saying, I should probably do this. I should probably do this. Or having other people tell you you should. That too. Yes. I found like on my first try, I found a great therapist and I found a great therapy method that worked for me. And um, that is not always the case. I know people who have gone through, you know, multiple therapists and multiple different kinds of therapy to find what works for them. So um, if you are looking to start therapy, don't give up if whatever you try first doesn't work for you because it takes a while sometimes. And also if you're listening to this and you're like, fuck off, you guys, like no one has the time or the money for therapy, sit tight. We are going to be doing an episode of the if you can't afford therapy or if you have not found the right therapist, therapy, etc. kind of self-help book guide. Uh, that's coming up later in the season. So sit tight. We will get you an episode as well that hopefully will give you um, some information. Over the last, I don't know, what's it been like a year, two years now, I've, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that not just championing people going to therapy, like I was just kind of ragging on Rich about needing to go to therapy, but I've also spoken somewhat openly about my own current run with therapy. And a number of people have actually reached out to me, either through my DMs or to both of us through the email from the podcast or um, through our Instagram DM. And they've talked about their experience as well. And now it's really cool because I actually have a crew of people that I talk to at least weekly who are also going through the same type of therapy that I'm going through now. So we kind of chat with each other and like keep each other up to date and any breakthroughs that we've had. Like it, it's pretty awesome. That being said, I am currently seeing a licensed professional for trauma, and I started seeing her with the intent to engage in EMDR. And my hope was to get treatment through EMDR with the hope of being able to kind of process or reprocess issues 
involving relationships I've been in and sexual trauma that I've experienced. And in starting that, we actually ended up moving into other parts of my life as well. Um, we actually started with CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, the one we were just talking about that Rich was mentioning. It's more like a talk therapy. Um, and then we moved into EMDR by slowly confronting social issues and situations I've been in and social anxiety that I kind of knew I had but didn't know was so fucking deep. And then eventually kind of geared up to like, you know, we leveled up to the next one and decided to move on to dealing with some of the relationship issues that I've experienced and things that I've been holding on to that I didn't even realize. So now Rich is going to play journalist and ask me lots of questions about the process so you guys get to learn about what it's like when a licensed professional pokes inside your brain by moving her fingers backwards and forwards in front of your face. <laughs> so, yeah, can you just sort of explain to us, like, what exactly happens during EMDR? Yeah, for sure. So, in its name, it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I never remember it unless I read it. That's why you just have to say EMDR, which is also a mouthful. But basically... And I'm sure there's, again, different ways that different professionals adhere the process. But for me, for the person that I'm seeing, the actual therapy itself is in advance. We are we have one main topic, right? Let's say like a specific relationship. There's uh, the person that I talked about on the podcast from the quote unquote bad slash worst relationship I've ever been in. He is a lot of what we are dealing with and a lot of the stress and anxiety and concerns and, you know, fears and everything that I experience in relationships now, a lot of it was cultivated during that relationship. So he is kind of the that relationship and things that happen within that relationship are a lot of the things that we discuss and deal with. And so we sat down using that relationship kind of as the overall topic, I guess. And I've gone through and made a list and it kind of grows as as more things kind of shift and change in your brain. You think of more and more things and you earth kind of things as they come up of experiences or, you know, just situations that happened where I felt scared or hurt, you know, where this person did something to me physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally, otherwise, you know, and just enough to the point where it's sitting in your brain. It's some one of those things where you think about it and you quietly and quickly, at least for me, shut that box really fast if it opens up and you're like, remember that time when you're like, no, 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 I don't remember that time. Fuck that time. We're going to lock that time back up. Those are the things you kind of work on through the therapy. So let's say we were talking about the fact that I was never good enough. So I have this feeling consistently in most of my relationships that I'm never good enough because I was treated like I was never good enough because everything I did was never good enough. So we'll sit down with a very specific moment or example and will give some of those things numbers. You know, how do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body on a scale of one to 10? How anxious do you feel? Or what are the emotions that are tied to that? What do you believe about yourself? And what do you want to believe about yourself in that moment? Uh, my therapist will hold up her fingers and will move them left to right. And your eyes, you have to keep your head still and your eyes follow them while you're thinking about this one thing over and over again that the two of you have decided. And she does that for a period of time. It's sometimes fast, sometimes slow. The speed also kind of keeps you on your toes almost. Yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to ask what the point of the different speeds is. So, unless it's different responses or It kind of does. What I've noticed is that when we are starting something, she'll go back and forth slower. 
And when we're kind of working through, like we're like seven memories into this one topic and we are almost to the end of the list, we are rapid firing through that shit. And basically, just so everyone knows, because they're like, why are you thinking about a bad relationship while you're trying to follow someone's fingers? Like, that sounds crazy. The whole idea of this is that you're pulling something that has kind of almost like, the way I like to think of it is like a piece of gum that's gotten stuck in your brain. It hasn't gone where it needs to go. It hasn't gone in the trash or it hasn't been, you know, put back in a wrapper somewhere. It's sitting somewhere in your brain kind of gunking it up. What you're doing, and that's a past memory, of course, what you're doing by watching those fingers is you're activating your brain to kind of pull that past memory into now. And as you're thinking through and taking something that happened for me, it was like 15 years ago, and you're taking, you know, what you thought about yourself then or what was told or the way you were treated at that time, and you're kind of bringing that into the now, you begin to reprocess that memory with all of the experience that you have now, with the things you'd like to think about yourself instead, and with the help of your licensed clinician, you're able to kind of destigmatize, I guess, that kind of very traumatic moment. Yeah, I think if that makes sense, there's a lot there. Um, and I'm sure I'm not like using all the science words, but that's what I know it to be. <laughs> And I think not using the science words kind of makes it a little more personal or like easier Hopefully. to <laughs> not confusing. <laughs> right. So while you're kind of going through this, like how how does it feel emotionally and like physically? Is there some sort of like physical response also? Because you are sort of like in a sense like kind of like bring up these traumatic events, so your body remembers that stuff. I was gonna say for any of my body keeps the score fans out there, like you guys know that. As soon as you open up that fucking door again and you have, haven't processed something properly and really stored it away and it's just kind of, again, kind of gunked it up in your brain like that, your body, it does some weird shit, man. I go through a lot of anxiety with it. I, I start to shake and I start, for me, when I get anxiety, it's that kind of like internal cold feeling where you're like shaking on the ends, almost from like extreme excitement where you're like kind of shaking on the inside, you're like vibrating but in a way that you're like, please fucking let this stop soon. Like, it's not enjoyable. So that to me is what anxiety feels like a lot of the time. I also get a lot of like shortness of breath and like chest pressure when we're doing this. And it's usually because what I've noticed is whenever I get really anxious, I'm short of breath. I like forget to breathe almost because I'm just so concerned with what's happening that I'm like, oh God. So when we're going through this, some of those things do come back up. It was really interesting. There was a a situation that we were reprocessing where I was a passenger in a car. And as we were going through it, I felt myself starting to like move towards what would be the window. So my right side, because the threat was coming from my left side. So as we were reprocessing it, I was kind of leaning further and further to one side because the threat became almost so real. Even though I'm just sitting in an office down the street from my house, like your body feels like you're flashed back to that moment all over Interesting. again. Wow. It's bizarre and it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I was going to be like, that's really intense. Okay, so it has a, a physical effect on you. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on in your brain during this in Again, using our layman's terms that we are so say, I don't know the science fond of. Well, basically, I kind of touched on it before. So yeah. you have this thought or this moment. I guess I can use an example. It's an example that like, man, trauma is so fucking weird. So like we did this episode 
where I was a guest, right? And Rich got to cue and I did the A's of, you know, the, the podcast. And I talked about my own traumatic experiences. And I spent like almost two months preparing for that because I knew that it was going to be hard. I started thinking about it first. I started kind of going over different things that had happened, things that I remembered. I started making notes. And I was, I mean, I, at this point, I've already been in therapy for um, this same EMDR relationship therapy at this point for a while. But like, it was really hard. And like, I made kind of a rough outline of things that I wanted to talk about and like events that I, you know, really wanted to make sure that we talked about or that I kind of touched on specific feelings. So everyone kind of got a, a full scope of like, what my relationship was and where my anxieties and traumas were coming from. So that was for the podcast. That was, I don't even remember when we did that. I don't know, sometime last year. So let me interrupt you for one second, just because that brings up another question I have, sort of sub-question. So you, you said that you had already been doing this for a while when we did that episode. Do you think you would have been able to talk about it in the same way had you not been doing this? Or if that episode would have been, you know, a completely different story if you had not been already doing uh, this sort of therapy? I'm not sure. It's interesting because there's a lot that happened around that episode, yeah. which I don't think, like, Rich, we didn't plan this out. So when this comes up and people are going to hear this, they're going to be like, they planned this to talk about this. But like, it, I didn't. No. While I was preparing to talk about, uh, to be a guest on my own podcast, <laughs> um, I actually was also going through a breakup because the person that I was with started to concern me in the same way as the relationship that we were going to talk about on the podcast. Um, I started to become concerned. I, and I'm not going to go into that too much because they're not the same person. But like, it's almost like the PTSD came real again. And there was like a whole situation where, again, I was in a car. I was a passenger in a car. And I actually just got out of the car and I was like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with this. And this was all while I was like writing this whole thing up about, you know, this relationship to talk about on the podcast. So I think that I was able to speak about it in a different way than I probably would have if I hadn't started processing some of this through therapy. But like I've always been, as I kind of joked about before, like really good at disassociating. And so I can easily pull myself back and be like, I was in an abusive relationship and now I am fine. So, like, I think going into therapy and being like, hey, I was in this relationship, like, I'm actually shaking while I'm having this conversation with you. I'm still scared that this person's out there, even though there's not a real inherent fear and I understand that. I can't get over that. That, I think, wouldn't have come across the same way if I wasn't openly dealing with some of that stuff. So, one of the things, as we kind of talked about with the car, while I was dealing with we were kind of coming up with a list of items about uh relationships or this relationship in, in particular one of the items was the situation with the car and i apparently had never told anyone about it at all and i thought that i told everyone around me i remember texting the group the the podcast group chat and you guys were like holy fuck and i texted my best friend and she was like you never told me that because i knew because you know i would have killed him and i was like yeah you didn't even know him but yeah thanks for being there and I talked to my mom about it, and she's like, you never told me any of that. And it's just one of those things that it wasn't there during the podcast. I mean, it, it was, but it wasn't, because I wouldn't have jumped out of that car in the more current relationship if that memory wasn't there. So basically, to long story short, the memory was that the person I was dating got a call that one of his friends was in the hospital, was having a baby, and there were some complications. We hopped in a car. It was very late at night. Uh, we'd been drinking. 
and we were speeding down whatever fucking California freeway it was. And he answered a call while we were driving and found out that she had actually thrown a blood clot in her leg and died. And well, he dropped the phone, started screaming, and the car swerved. You know, he put it back on the road. He was fine. And then we got back down to, you know, the people's house. He spent time with the family. And when we were heading back a few hours later, he said, do you remember when I swerved the car and when I found out that this person, you know, had passed away? And I said, yeah. He said, I was going to take the car off the road and kill both of us. And I had absolutely no idea that that happened or that is what they were, he was thinking. And then I kind of replayed it and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Holy shit. Like I was really close to dying at the hands of another person who supposedly is someone who is there to, you know, be with and take care of me and, you know, move through life with me, I guess, and enjoy being alive with me. (laughs) And because of this person's actions, like I was very close to losing my life. I had no memory of that. I, I thought I told everyone about that. And I thought I was just one of the things I kind of, you know, I filed it away until like it was time to talk about it. And so there's layers to it. So you think you're like, hey, here's the three big memories of this bad relationship. No, there's like 15 more under there. And once you move those big three, like other ones will float up and either they're kind of work themselves out because the reprocessing is not just while you're in the therapist's office. Your brain now is kind of like lit up in the right areas and it's starting to work through some of these smaller things. So like having someone say you're a fucking bitch, I'm like, yeah, it's nothing compared to like almost dying on the freeway. Like, you know, it it kind of works itself out. And then some of the stuff that seemed big is now not so big. And so as you go back week after week, your brain's actually doing like a lot of heavy lifting outside of the time that you're sitting there with a licensed clinician. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. I like shaking. <laughs> Thanks, buddy, for keeping that fucking score. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about once the session is over, um, because I, I know I can speak for myself with the therapy that I did afterwards, even just with talk therapy, just talking about this stuff with someone. I, I always use the sort of analogy of I kind of felt high afterwards. Like (laughs) there's like an endorphin rush where you're just like, oh, wow, I feel lighter. And I just like feel kind of stoned because it's all these. um, I just went through like sometimes some very intense uh, memories or emotions with someone. What is it with uh, EMDR? Is it sort of a similar thing? Yeah, I mean, it is at first. I think that's kind of like a it's almost like. A post-therapy high, I think it's probably the same for like most people, I think, in any type of therapy, because you're like, someone paid attention to me to help me work through my bullshit for a whole hour. Granted, I paid them or like, you know, insurance did and they're forced to help me, um, you know, in that way. But like getting that kind of very specific attention and coming to like pseudo revelations in an hour's time or 50 minutes or whatever the fuck they grant you, like... It's almost like, you know, when you're doing like intense cardio and you walk into the gym and you're like, I could lift a car. Like, it's kind of that same thing, but for your brain, like, at least that's how I feel. And so I actually walk to my therapist's office. So I use the time when I walk back as kind of like my decompression. So when I'm back at my house, like, I'm still not like super revved up because I won't be able to like calm myself down. So that walking actually gets some like physical exertion out of the way. But the processing part that we kind of talked about before, it it doesn't just stop there. Just like, you know, with CBT, like when they get in there and they start poking around, like it's like they're still there. On You go on Monday, they're poking around on Tuesday, whether you realize it or not, because they'll drop those little like therapy truth bombs inside your brain that Mm -hmm. like explode throughout the week. And you're like, oh, shit, I never thought of it that way. 
and you're like brushing your teeth. Like the other day I was literally brushing my teeth and I was like, the majority of the guys I've dated have problems with their fathers. I don't have daddy issues. They have daddy issues. And everyone's <laughs> been accusing me for years. And I had a no problem with my father. Like, and I'm brushing my teeth and this shit like comes to me. And I'm just like, oh, oh my God. So you do get that kind of like, because the reprocessing, like I said, is not just a one and done kind of thing. It's not just there when your therapist is there helping you through it. Like your brain kind of just, it's almost like getting like a jump start of a car and like the rest of the week, especially like the first few days, like your brain is like riding that wave and it's like working through some shit, whether you're cognizant of it or not. And for me, it's literally, this is like the worst part. Like not that I, I'm trying to like tell anyone not to go, but like Monday night and Tuesday night, I have like the most intense dreams that wake me up from like crazy anxiety because my brain is like fucking through some stuff. And so like I'll wake up for work and I'll feel like I haven't slept at all or I'll have that like deep seated feeling of dread that I haven't gotten in a really long time, but like just started getting now somewhat recently because I'm working through some of my heavy bullshit. But I'm usually able to kind of talk myself out of it. It happens like in that period of time where you're asleep, kind of awake. And so once I get up and I start moving and I'm going to work and I'm doing stuff like I become me again. But it's that kind of weird dead zone between awake and asleep where I'm just like dealing with some shit and like I feel all the feels in a very bad way. So I just make myself get out of bed and like even if it's like five in the morning and I don't want to, I just like get up and do something and then I'll like go back to sleep and then, you know, handle it. But it, it, it continues to work and it is very tiring. Like I'm tired all the time, but we're also doing like a shit ton of heavy lifting over the last couple of months. So maybe one day it won't be so heavy all the time. I mean, that's the hope, isn't it? I would fucking hope so. <laughs> yeah. So how did you sort of realize that, oh, this is working? Like I'm sort of understanding things or getting to a point that I wasn't at before I started doing this. Was there sort of a holy shit moment or was it kind of just like a gradual yeah. So, well, like I mentioned, we kind of started with like social stuff before we moved into like full on relationship trauma. Yay. Like, so we were dealing with like social issues that I experienced and things that made me embarrassed to be me or thinking about, you know, reason imposter syndrome. And like, I've always had a deep seated concern with what other people thought of me. And I don't understand why, but I can't like separate that. And it like can fucked, fucks with me hard where i'm like someone's like you suck and i was like i do suck oh my god like there's a situation at my job right now where someone keeps calling me that most incompetent person and that i should be fired i was like okay well i do this job i do a second job i run a music website i also do pr for bands i run a podcast i hang out with my senior mom to make sure she's doing okay i uphold all of my relationships and I still have free time to like work on fitness, fucking handle my bullshit. But yes, I am the most incompetent person. That answer right there is how I know it's working. Because in two years ago, if she would have done that, and I've had people do that in the industry that I'm in, I would be like, yeah, you're right. I fucking suck. And then I would get in a deep depressive mode where I'd eat three sleeves of Oreos and not get out of the bed all weekend long because I fucking suck because some rando told me that's who I am. Like, I, I can tell it's working because... Not only do I feel lighter in general, but I'm watching. It's almost it's bizarre in that, like, after years, decades even of having kind of a very, very specific instantaneous like response to something like when someone says something or you hear something like, you know how you're going to respond. You've crafted your own personality, right? Like in your experience have crafted that personality. And so sometimes I'll hear myself respond to shit and I'm like, whoa, 
where did that like considerate strong-willed bitch come from because like i've always been told that i was a certain things in a positive way and i never really fully believed them imposter syndrome style and now all of a sudden i was like no i'm right you think I'm incompetent? Let me show you how non-incompetent I actually fucking am. Here's a laundry list of shit that I handle on a day-to-day basis. What do you do? Okay, move on. And that kind of confidence and just ability to just be really assured in who I am shows me that on the social aspect, like all of this is is working wonders. And then on the relationship side, as we were talking about, I'm brushing my teeth and having fucking Danny revelations. So like, <laughs> I know it's working. <laughs> You know, a good point of all of this is that's what therapy should do. It should help you sort of realize things about yourself. The big realization I had when I started going was, it was like, man, you know, I'm such like shitty person and blah, 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 all this. And it was like, okay, I've made some, some shitty choices before, but I'm not, a, I'm not a bad person. Like what I've done in the past doesn't necessarily have to define me. So... And then sort of like realizing like, okay, well, I'm a good father. I'm good at my job, whatever it may be, even if I don't like it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like just finding the positives where you're not just sort of feeling like a piece of shit, like you can change. You know? Well, I think one of the things, not just EMDR, but any and all therapy helps us without this being its specific mission. It helps us define the fact that we as people are consistently growing and changing and altering. And every day we learn something new. And no, I'm not the person I was on Monday. No, I wasn't the per- I'm not the person I was fucking 12 years ago. If that relationship came up again, would I act that way? No, because I can use current or more current relationships to show myself that similar things have come up and I didn't respond the way I did 15 years ago. That means I'm growing and changing. Maybe I need a little bit of a boost in that direction, kind of making sure I'm comfortable in in how to respond to things. But I think one of the best things about therapy is kind of giving us all a second chance in a way. You know, we, we still need to be held accountable for our actions, of course. You know, we talk about this all the fucking time. We've all acted like assholes. Who hasn't? I mean, everyone had their 20s. Unless you're currently having them, they are currently acting like an asshole. And that's fine. That's part of it. Just try to be like, you know, cognizant of how much of a douche you are. (laughs) But like if something I did when I was 21 years old is not something that should be like fucking with me at my job right now at 36. Like I should be able to take that, see what it is, say, I know that's wrong now. I'm not doing that again. That's not who I am. I wouldn't speak to someone that way or, you know, whatever. And then move on from there and be able to freely live my life without having all of the strings of past issues holding me back. And I think in general, that's kind of one of the real benefits of any type of the therapies that we had mentioned. I think everyone can benefit from some form of therapy. For me personally, I this is one of the things that really bugs me about social media. And I think it diminishes the work of actual therapists and people who go to therapy. When people are like, music is my therapy, or going to movies is my therapy. No, music and movies, those are distractions. Therapy is therapy. One of the few nice things about the time we're living in is there's not really that stigma about therapy anymore. Hopefully not anymore. We're working towards it not being that way. Right. Well, and people talk about mental health more than they used to. And jobs will have, you know, you can take mental health days. That's a real thing. 
because mental health is the same as physical health. So if you're worried about like, oh, man, like I, if I go to therapy, like I won't be able to tell anyone. You have friends who are going to therapy, even if you don't know that you have friends who are going. And I know, again, we're talking a lot about going to therapy, something that's very expensive in a time where we live in a complete hellscape fucking nightmare especially when it comes to health-related anything. So for everyone there who's like, fuck you, I can't afford therapy and I have no health insurance, like, we get it, I understand for sure. But, you know, there's there's other options. There's a lot of low-cost options. I would hop on Google. I know Chicago has it. I'm pretty sure Minneapolis has it too. You know, take take to the internet. Um, You can find something. And again, like what Rich said, if you are are in therapy and you're just like, fuck, this isn't working, it's just not for me. Find a new therapist. Keep trying. Try it out. There's different options out there and not everything works for everyone, right? Like if you don't think your therapist is the person that you should be talking to, like mine, I have to feel like for me, it's someone that is not like what Rich described with like glasses and like a sweater vest with like a little notebook, like judging the shit out of me. I don't want that. I have someone who's about my age who also loves Kesha and we watch, we talk about like shitty reality TV. Like she actually told me that she was watching, I think it was like Bachelor in Paradise or something. And like one of the guys is the same name as like one of my bad relationships. And every time she hears his name, she thinks about like my shitty ex. Like that's the kind of relationship I need in a therapist. But that doesn't mean that that's what someone else needs. So keep working it. Keep trying to find what works for you because you'll find something. And when you do, it's like the best thing that's ever happened. It's like so freeing. It's like the most delicious slice of chocolate cake. It's like the best relationship you've ever been in. Like you'll know when you find it. If it doesn't fit for you, just keep looking. Enough is a podcast centering on surviving abuse, harassment, and assault in the music scene. To help get the word out, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you have been on the receiving end of harm from someone, be it artist, venue owner, booking agent, audience member, or someone else, and would like to share your story on a future episode, please reach out to us at thisisenoughpodcast at gmail.com. All correspondences are kept confidential.